today's episode is about something I'm happy to be covering again, mental health. Hello, my name is Farida Abdul Karim. I am a development practitioner and a creative writer based in Washington, D.C. Farida was born into a Muslim family and grew up in Lagos, Nigeria. She's the first of three children. She was an inquisitive child who loved to read. Yes, uh, I think the words that would be most commonly used to describe me as a child would be precocious. I was an oversabi. I used to be that kid who was like, I was constantly reading because we had this, um, in my primary school, we had a bunk bed in the library. And I still think till today, that's why I'm so attached to my bed. Like I do so much of my work, my intellectual work in bed as opposed to a desk like normal people. So I spent a lot of time as a child in the library, in my school, just reading at home in some corner. Um, but I also, I was a very sensitive child. Farida says in terms of personality, she and her siblings were like oil and water. I, I definitely think we... I would describe my relationship with my sisters as like we coexisted. I think I, I only really started getting close to my sisters as I entered some form of adulthood. But for the most part, we just honestly, we just coexisted because we had such distinct personalities. And that's still something that makes me laugh till today that people can come from the same parents. They can grow up in the same conditions and completely be like oil and water. Despite the difference in personalities, Farida had a pretty decent relationship with her sisters and her parents too. So in my family it was interesting because one parent was very traditional, conservative, you know, make sure you wear the right outfit, don't do this, don't do that. But then there was another parent who was like, if you want to ask problematic questions, do that, you know. So one of my parents like actually studied theology. And so it was always interesting sort of like, you know, they were both good parents. They both believe in Allah. They both worship as Muslims. But for one person, performing Islam was not do or die, you know? But for the other parent, it was, ah, no. Hmm. What will people say? If you don't tie your hair, <laughs> Don't worry, Farida has a pretty good relationship with her mom and dad. She says they didn't stifle her sense of expression, but they were worried about her. She displayed some signs that they didn't particularly consider normal. Yeah, okay. So the first one was aggressively preferring my company to really anywhere else. And this followed me for a really long time, right up till my early 20s, because I remember a day like they did family meeting on my behalf. Like my nuclear and extended family sat down and asked me like, do you not like people? And I remember I looked at them and I told them, I said, why is it so hard for all of you to understand that? I love being by myself. And they were like, that's not normal. No one is supposed to like. And I was like, no, you guys are the ones that are not normal. <laughs> and so I don't know where what it is, but from a very young age, I sort of, maybe, I don't know if it's a creative thing as well. I mean, there's also a mental health element, but 
the world just wasn't enough for me. She didn't know it at the time, but her parents were right that being alone for long hours of the day without talking or associating with anyone was not a good sign. She learned this much later, the hard way. Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin, and I like girls. This is a storytelling podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us for being women. In this episode, we follow Farida's journey into discovering that she has bipolar disorder. Most times when I was alone, I was either daydreaming, I was reading something, or I was watching something. So I didn't feel alone, if that makes sense. But I also underestimated just how much isolation I put myself through. You know, it was really quite unhealthy in hindsight. I should have spent a lot more time around, especially people who loved me. So a lot of like the social, I don't know how to explain it, like social cues that people know how to pick up on. Even till today, I still like, there's so many things I don't pick up on. Like I'm just very blind to a lot of social cues because I spent so much time alone by myself. I asked Farida to give me a real life example of a part of her life she spent isolated from others. I will use boarding school as an example. How after class, you hang out with your friends and you just, and all of that. Me, I don't used to do it though. Like I had friends that I liked, but I would just go straight to my bed and start reading a book. And one day, my beautiful classmates decided to do an intervention. Man, God, I've had so many interventions in my life. <laughs> they That's they really literally funny. met me in the field, though, in the sporting field. They were like, Farida, this can't continue. Like, they formed a circle around me and started telling me how, like, they're just setting behavioral modifications. They're like, as a woman, mm-mm. like, you can't be disgracing the rest of us. You know, like you just, they're like, no, 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 you have to, you have to develop like some more like pleasant social characteristics. And they put me in a circle and they were like, they're not going to be friends with me if I don't fix up. Farida is saying this lightheartedly now, but it really was a big problem. She would pretty much keep to herself during school hours. And as soon as the school bell rang to signify the end of class. 14-year-old Farida would go right back to her room in boarding school, isolated from everyone, and pick up a book to read. She barely associated with people. Oh, by the way, the intervention from her friends at school left her feeling some type of way. I think at first I was like, it was just shock. I didn't take it seriously. But when I now sort of the moment that's really seared into my memory was after the field thing, we all like went to the common room and some like someone just like held me and shoved me in front of a mirror and was like, this is not normal. And wow, it's so funny because I haven't thought about this in such a long time. So it's like the memory is coming back. And they just made me look at the mirror almost like this whatever this is you are presenting is unacceptable. And it didn't make sense to me then. But yeah, just like making me look in the mirror and saying like this image is, is 
needs fixing. And I remember I took it to heart because the first thing I did was I changed my houseware. When we went home, I like made something more like, I guess, ordinary looking, the style of my houseware. And I started spending time with like girls that I considered, like girls that everyone wanted to be friends with. I now put it almost like as an assignment that, okay, let me, maybe I can absorb some of their behavior. If I make friends with like the friendly popular girls, they can rub off on me like an alien. Like, oh, if I mimic human behavior, maybe I'll be human. (laughs) I'll explain this part. Farida took the intervention seriously. So she spent a bit of time talking to the kids that were considered likable in school. She felt like if she was friends with the cool kids, people would see her as normal. And so that was what that was. I thought, okay, if she spends time with like likable people, they'll be like, oh, she used to she used to hang around with those people. She's okay. Like she's their friend. She's okay. It's not like me myself, I wanted the lifestyle perks. I definitely didn't want seniors to be like trying to be my friends. I just wanted people to like, okay, she's okay. Her hack worked. People didn't worry too much about her after that. But her isolation wasn't the only issue. I'll tell you more after the break. So I run a cleaning business where the people in my neighborhood can easily book a cleaning for their homes. I like that I can help busy mothers take care of cleaning so they can focus on everything else. Last Monday evening, I was talking with one of my neighbors, Simi, and I was telling her how hard it was for me to keep track of payments. I have a big blue notebook where I track my customers and how much they owe. It's really stressful. So Simi just asked me, BC, do you know Paystack? She told me that with Paystack, I can instantly send an invoice to my customers online, and my customers can pay with card, USSD, or bank transfer. I'm not too familiar with all these tech things, but Simi showed me where to set up my account, and it was so easy. So since then, I've been using Paystack invoices. I send electronic reminders to my customers about payments, and I get an alert on the app when they pay me, all from my mobile phone. No more big blue book. You too can create simple invoices using Paystack. Start by opening a free account on paystack.com forward slash I like girls. Like I mentioned before the break, Farida's isolation was not the only issue. If I wanted something for my life, I would push myself to like exhaustion to get it. And if I didn't get it, I would feel like it was my fault because I don't know why for some reason I felt like I was the author and, and writer of my life. Like I could single-handedly change anything I wanted to in my life. She kind of had control issues and some really interesting ambitions. Because I was so quote unquote weird in my immediate environment, I didn't really see a model of a life that I wanted. I didn't like find anything to aspire to or that felt realistic enough for me. So I had like ambitions that were considered unusual 
for like someone from my background. Let's establish like context. So what kind of ambition did you have or what did you want to be that was, I guess, so Yeah, big? okay. So for example, and I'm sure you can relate to this, I saw Christian Amanpo in a documentary called In the Footsteps of Bin Laden. And for the next few years, I told everybody that I was going to go to war zones and like hold a microphone and talk. I'm Christiana Manpour, and as President Obama meets at the White House to discuss... If you don't know Christiana Manpour, she's a British-Iranian journalist who's currently CNN's chief international anchor. In the 1990s, she was one of the leading war reporters in the world. <laughs> All of my classmates, they're like, who dreams of that nonsense? I, like, literally, I was like, I want to be where, where, where they are throwing those bombs. Like, I want to be holding the camera and be dodging bombs. <laughs> Another thing, this one was not professional. This was in my personal life. I used to watch these documentaries on Ge National Geographic about like all these people that would just go and like live in the bush and hang out with animals. And there was this particular guy, his name is Pat Spain. He used to like look for mysterious creatures. And I used to have this fantasy that I would get married to Pat Spain and we would go and live in like the forest. And on our wedding day, like we would have human guests, but we would also have animal guests. Like we would have one section of the seat for like our lions and bears and chickens to like sit and then the humans. And Pat and I would just like live in the forest, taking care of our animals like Tarzan and Jane. Farida, please, <laughs> Even Farida's fantasies involved isolation. So then let me, so let me say it back and you tell me if I'm right. So based on some of these ambitions, if you didn't get what you wanted in relation to maybe something that would help you achieve them, you sort of, it was like you threw a fit, like, why can't I get all of this? So I would sort of just, I guess I would have a breakdown, but not a violent one. Just like something inside me would just die and there would like physically, I was, I would show physical symptoms of extreme depression. Just like not be able to do anything. In fact, till today, I'm honestly shocked that I have three degrees and I've managed to like get as many jobs and write as many articles, considering how much of my life has been spent just lying down. Farida found that when she wanted something and didn't get it, a job, a scholarship, a book. She'd be in such low spirits about it that she'd be unable to get out of bed or perform mundane tasks like doing the dishes or sorting out laundry. For instance, if I emailed somebody I really wanted to reply me and they didn't reply me, it would just, like I would just take it so personally. And even here like in the US, it happened to me a little bit you know, for a time. I was like, I've done all of this hard work. Why am I not having these opportunities? Why is this not happening for me easily? 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 She told me about this one time in 2019 when she thought she missed out on a big opportunity. I remember I was applying to this very fancy Oxford scholarship. And eventually I finally made like the final, final shortlist. But I remember like my email came in a little later 
a few hours later. And I had worked so hard for this. It had been a hard year. And in the group chat, I would, people were like texting, oh, did you guys get your email? And like me, it was just silence. And the very next day, I had to go to work. And I just, I swear it was like, I don't know how to explain it. When they say people, like, I was on autopilot, I don't think I said up to 15 words that day. And then when the email came, I literally, like, physically just, like, fell down. I use that example because that's it will be easier for people to relate to. You worked hard for this fancy scholarship and you thought you didn't. But even with things that are comparably smaller, my response would still be the same. Farida's reaction to not getting what she desires isn't just crying and feeling sorry for yourself. Like with me, or with some people out there, it's days of not being able to function well. It's staying in bed. It's losing your appetite. It's fatigue. It's a lot. So I don't know why I still always felt. I, I guess it goes back to that trend of me feeling personally responsible for everything that happens in my life, even if there are things that I obviously have no control over and I'm deluding myself. And I get that from my dad. And because he would tell me brooding, he was like, me and you, we like brooding. And so whenever I would have some like really dark days um, as an adult, he would just be like, just call us, call us. And he would try to like distract me and be like, think about something stupid. Farida said adulting was complicated. She had high moments where she was bubbly and excited. And then really low moments where she didn't feel like doing anything or showing up to work. To be clear, she didn't see any of these things as a problem. Her isolation, her need for control, the low and high moments. She kind of just assumed that it was normal. And I get that. She had not experienced any other way to live. So she didn't have anything to compare her reality to. Things started to change in 2017 after a random conversation with her sister. And so again, my sister being the opposite of me, she has been in, she had been in the same job since her NYSC, waking up every day, going to the office. Me, I had done gone through like five jobs. Oh, another characteristic of mentally unstable people. We can't stay in one place. And so one day I was asking her, I was like, I don't understand. How how can you like how is it how how do you like get up and go to the office? You know, because for me like I was getting to a point where things were like I was going from mania to like depression, and so I was finding it harder to like justify showing up at the office. Like if I did go to the office, I will find a way to leave halfway. I will make an excuse to leave for the day before the day is over, or I will just not show up. It's like I wasn't. I wasn't like sad, nothing externally bad was happening. You know when people say I was simply unable to can? Like my body and my mind were unable to can. You just didn't feel like and doing obvious, things, like, like I don't want to. Like this, I didn't even hate the job, I liked this job, I liked the people. I just couldn't human. I couldn't human for that day. 
I don't know how to explain it. The responsibility of being a human being was too much. Remember when I said Farida had a mix of pretty high and low moments? At the time this conversation was happening with her sister, she had just come back from Europe where she spent some time researching her thesis on soft power. While she was doing that, she had a couple of side jobs. Then she moved from those side jobs to take on an NGO job. Because it was almost like every time I stopped feeling like I was in the mood, I would try and pivot and thought maybe that new thing would automatically instill discipline in me. Until I talked to my sister and realized that, oh no, people are not in the mood a lot, though, but they still manage to get things done. I was like, wow. She's saying that working multiple jobs was a way for her to compensate for the times she felt low. The conversation with her sister made her realize she had some missing puzzles to fix. So that same year, in 2017, she sought help from a medical professional. And so they told me I had something called cyclothymia, which is kind of like, it's like bipolar, but it's very mild, you know? And so I explained all, and he was like, sounds like you have cyclothymia. And for the first time in my life, I went on medication. Cyclothymia is a rare mood disorder that causes emotional ups and downs. People with cyclothymia experience periods when their moods noticeably shift up and down from their baseline. According to the American Psychiatric Association, it's a milder form of bipolar disorder. Medication changed things for Farida. All that confusion about how come some people cannot leave their bed completely went away. All of a sudden, I was like, Oh my God, this is how much free time. Look at how much time I have when I'm not by myself inside my room, lying down. I cannot believe how much time I've spent just doing that. It was crazy. Getting meds helped Farida navigate the world better until she stopped taking them. I stopped. And what they always tell you, if you're going to go off mental health meds, you have to wean yourself off. But nobody told me, like, I just stopped. Like, once my prescription ran out, I just stopped. And so I was coasting on this wave. And so by, the t- by when I fell, I fell. Like, I had, there are memory, like, I have black, blank spots in my memory. When I fell, it was really bad. I quit my job without warning. I literally told them I'm not coming back to the office and I didn't. I got into a huge fight with my parents and I basically ran away from my parents. It's not what you think. She means that after quitting her job in October 2017, she took on a new job in Sokoto, far from where her parents lived in Abuja. She was 23. I went to live in our house in Ilori. So I wouldn't have to confront them. Then I went to Lagos to help them organize film festival. Just like refusing to press pause. It was like I it was like I was on you know my dad was like he thought I was on drugs. Like he was like, I like we're worried about you. Like, are you on drugs or something? And then I would suddenly have these moments where like I would find myself just like wandering the streets and crying. Like just, you know, Lagos is like very hot and stressful. I would just like, like a mad person. I didn't look mad on the outside, but I'll just be walking the streets of Lagos, just shedding tears and not understanding why I'm crying. There are some of those moments like, and the next thing I realized I'm at home and I don't know how I got home. 
So it's kind of like you blanked out. Yeah. Throughout this period, Farida was floating between Iloran, North Central Nigeria, where her parents had a second house, and Lagos, where she took on extra freelance jobs, and then Abuja, where her parents lived. Her episodes started to get more frequent, and eventually, she had a major breakdown. I'll tell you more about it after the break. I'm 25 years old, and I'm an illustrator. I've been painting and illustrating since I was very young. The walls of my room at home are covered with a lot of my work. Three months ago, I got tired of creating art for just myself. So I decided to take things to the next level. I wasn't sure how to publicly display and sell my work. So I asked on Twitter. Someone on my timeline recommended Storefront from Paystack. I did my research and tried it out. And with Storefront, I was able to sell my first ever painting. Here's how it worked. I created a free account on Paystack. Then I created a new Storefront to sell three of my favorite paintings. I added pictures of the paintings, selected a beautiful background color, then entered different shipping amounts. Then I pretty much just shared the link to my Storefront on Twitter. And I had my first sale within 10 minutes. It was that easy. That was an exciting moment for me. If you like to create a customizable online store to sell your art, product, digital items and more, try Storefront from Paystack. You can start by creating a free account on paystack.com forward slash I like girls. Welcome back. We're still with Farida. And so the Christmas break of 2017 was coming up. And so obviously everyone was like winding down. There was really like no job or anything to distract me. But also I was I was finally feeling physical symptoms, you know, like the temporary job I had in Lagos. Like I would go into the bathroom and I would be sweating. My back would be sweating. My armpits would be sweating. My heart would be beating really fast. I would be like heaving and just crying and just crying and crying and crying. Like that was like the first time I had cried in like more than a decade. That was when it started. And so I now called out my aunt who had linked me up with the initial practitioner. And she was the one who was like, she called my mom. And my mom was like, please come home. And then when I go home, because my whole life, I had never actually told my mom what it felt like to sort of exist in that state. It was always just me defending my behavior. Like, you guys are weird. What's like, I'm fine. And so it was the first time I just sort of, I don't think I'd ever been that vulnerable with her. Like, I just, I, I, I just like, I was... I was like cloth, crumpled up cloth in front of her. And I told her, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't have the strength that I normally rely on to push me through these things is not there anymore. I don't know what to do. And I just sort of like, yeah. And she just, she just like, took my she just took my head and she was like just 
just stay here and let us love you. You're always running away from, from people that love you. And it's time for you to stop. And yeah, for, for the next few months, I just stayed in Ilari. I went back to like seeing a psychotherapist, went back on the medication. And I just, I didn't look for any job for the first time in my life. I didn't try to like control my life. And um, that's when they gave me the bipolar diagnosis. So they up- upgraded me from cy- cyclothymia to bipolar. <laughs> bipolar disorder is a mental health condition that is distinguished by dramatic changes in a person's mood and energy from elated highs of mania to lows of depression. A fact worthy of note is that the disorder has no cure. What makes bipolar distinctive is the way the shift between mania and depression happens. Like it can take anything from days to weeks, but it's like, shh, the drop is swift. And so it's really hard if you like have a bipolar person in your life, it's really hard to like watch. I don't think I realized that it's really hard to watch someone and it's exhausting, frankly speaking, to watch someone just like be so up and down, up and down, up and down all the time, you know. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what it is. I met Farida in 2018 for the first time in northern Nigeria, where she worked for a state governor as a high-level advisor. She's 28 years old and has lived in Italy, Nigeria, Germany, Rwanda, Uganda, and is now in the U.S. after getting her third degree on a full scholarship at Georgetown University. I'm telling you this because Farida is excellence personified, but she's got a complicated relationship with her bipolar disorder. She feels like those moments of mania, feeling high and energized, are responsible for her personal and professional success. She says she doesn't think she'd be where she is today if she didn't struggle with a mental disorder. And... That's kind of a tough realization to come to terms with. You know, but now, so fortunately, therapy and medication is helping me regulate. So I can sort of still tap into that productivity, but not at the friend. So the mistake was I kept trying to do everything at the same time. So now I can more easily prioritize my life. You know, I can still maintain my creative career with my development career, but I don't have to do them at this I don't have to write the best-selling book and get the job of my dreams at the same time and judge myself if I don't. Yeah, therapy has been super helpful for her. She has spent the past few years adjusting to life with the knowledge of her condition. But sometimes, Freda wishes that she didn't have to worry about being bipolar at all. But it's not, you're not the problem. But another thing that broke my heart was... There's no cure. So this is not a thing that ever goes away. It is still something I remember. Last year was very difficult for me, psychologically. And I remember I was crying and telling my therapist, I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, are you, are you honestly telling me that I have to carry this rubbish for the rest of my life? And I made a very stupid joke. I was like, so this means I can't be president. Imagine being the president of Nigeria and I have to go into some trade negotiations and bipolar is like knocking on the door. So it's like, what's going to happen in the future 
when I have another breakdown. But like, there are actual important things at stake. I think about this stuff like when when I become a parent, how do I parent a child when when I'm struggling? When I can't, I don't have the luxury of like taking as many self care breaks. Farida has valid worries that don't particularly have answers. So she pretty much just has to live life knowing that she has some limitations. The most important thing for me is now paying attention to my environment. Going back to the sensitivity thing, I, I am very careful about my immediate environment. Um, so medication is great, but for me, I still feel like medication sh- for me should is like a once like a final stop when everything else has failed so i find that regulating my environment usually works for me like people i can be honest with where like me being bipolar is not something to be afraid of or shamed over you know and so i've been very lucky that the people in my personal life are they understand it and even like professionally too I've been so lucky. It's incredible, really. Farida has a couple of mood lifters for whenever she's feeling down. She says she makes sure she gets a lot of sunlight and stays physically active by taking a walk. These things help to improve her energy levels. According to her, these additions in her lifestyle also make her meds work faster. A lot of, and people, the people in your life too. So I know, like, yeah. So even when I'm getting into that, like, space... There are people I can text or even people I can call. Like, oh man, my parents. Like, they didn't get it at the beginning, but the way my parents, like even just thinking about it is making me emotional. Like, they are a best use case for how to, how to live with your child that has a mental illness. It is... If like, oof, the way my parents take care of me, if I have a child that struggles with what I have, I hope I can, I can do half, half of what they don't. I wasn't sure how to wrap this episode up. So I figured asking Farida for advice, you know, in case you're going through something similar or know someone who is, is a pretty decent way to end this episode. And best believe she had a couple of things to say. Never be afraid to get help when you need it. It doesn't have to be traditional help. But if there is anyone in your life who will listen, or anyone in your life that has some kind of capacity, we judge ourselves so much. I was having a conversation with friends yesterday. It's like, if your friend came to you, you would help them. So... You yourself, why do you feel so much shame and hesitation in asking your friends for help? So I think that's the immediate, because if I didn't talk to my aunt, she would never have told me about this person, you know. Then the second one would be pay attention to your environment. It is underrated. One of the misconceptions attached to mental illness is this belief that 
It has to be loud, violent, or dramatic. While this is the case sometimes, it does not always apply to people that have them. It's why I really wanted to share Farida's story to show that mental illness does not present in one way. It can be like Farida's, unassuming, hardly violent, and seemingly normal. I hope this episode did just that. If you or anyone out there is struggling with their mental health, please reach out to a licensed mental health professional. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. I Like Girls is produced by 27 Productions. If you'd like to get in touch with us, visit 27productions.co forward slash I Like Girls. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at I Like Girls Pod. Also, please rate and review us on whatever streaming platform you're listening on. Rating us helps other people to discover the podcast just like you. This episode is produced by me and written by Dokas Olfasa. Audio engineering is by Mo Isu. Our editor is Ruth Olurambi, and our theme music is by Banks with a double G. The rest of the music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Paystack for sponsoring this episode. I'll catch you on the next one.